1973. In June, the lizards hang listlessly on the walls, scanning their horizons in vain. Insects seldom show up. Either the heat has killed them or they are sleeping and breeding in cracks in the plaster. The lizards wait and wait. All People Nagar is waiting for its release from the oppressive heat of June. One day clouds loom up on the horizon, growing rapidly into enormous towers. A faint breeze springs up. Soon it is a wind, which brings with it the first raindrops. This is the moment everyone is waiting for. People run out of their chawls and houses to take in the fresh breeze and the scent of those first raindrops on the parched, dry earth. As most of my writing is done at night and much of my sleeping by day, it often happens that at about midnight I put down my pen and go out for a walk. In Peepalnagar, this is a pleasant time for a walk, provided you are not taken for a burglar. There is the smell of jasmine in the air, the moonlight shining on sandy stretches of wasteland, and a silence broken only by the hideous bellow of the chokidar or the night watchman. This stop, is stop, stop. or the night watchman. This is the person who employed by our residents of our mohalla. This is the person who, employed by the residents of our mohalla, keeps guard over us at night and walks the road calling like a jackal, khabardar, for the benefit of prospective evildoers. Apart from keeping half the population awake, he is successful in warning thieves of his presence. The other night, in the course of a midnight stroll, I encountered a chokidar near a dark corner and wished him a good evening. He leapt into the air like a startled rabbit and immediately started shouting Khabardar as though this was some magic word that would bring me down on my knees begging for mercy. It's quite alright, I assured him. I'm only one of your clients. The Chokidar laughed nervously and said he was glad to hear it. He hoped I didn't mind his shouting Khabardar at me. But these were grim times and robbers were on the increase. I said yes, there were prob probably quite a few of them at work this very night. Had he ever tried creeping upon them quietly? He might catch a few that way. But why should he catch them? The Chokidar wanted to know. It was his business to frighten them away. He could do that better by roaring defiantly on the roads than by accosting them on someone's premises. Violence must be avoided if he could help it. Besides, he said, the people who live here like me to shout at night. It makes them feel safe knowing that I am on guard. And if I didn't shout Khabardar every few minutes, they would think I had fallen asleep and I would be dismissed. This was a logical argument. I asked him what would he do if by accident he encountered a gang of thieves. He said he would keep shouting Khabardar until the people came out of their houses to help him. I said I doubted very much if they would come out of their houses, but wished him luck all the time. All the same, 
and continued with my walk. Every five minutes or so, I heard his cry, followed by a khabardar, which grew fainter until the chokidar had reached the far side of the mohalla. I thought it would be a good idea to give him a helping hand from my side, so I cupped my hand to my mouth and shouted, Khabardar, Khabardar! It worked like magic. Three dark figures scrambled over a neighboring wall and fled down the empty road. I shouted Khabardar a second time and they ran faster. <coughs> Imagine the thieves' confusion when they were met by more Khabardars in front coming from the Chokidar and realized that they were not now two Chokidars operating in the Mohalla. On those nights when sleep was elusive, we left the room and walked for miles around Pipalnagar. It was generally around midnight that we became restless. The walls of the room would give out all the heat that they had absorbed during the day and to lie awake sweating in the dark only gave rise to morbid and depressing thoughts. In our singlets and pyjamas, Suraj and I would walk barefooted through the empty mohalla over the cooling brick pavements until we were out of the bazaar and crossing the maidan, our feet sinking into the springy dew-fresh grass. The maidan was broad and spacious, and the star-swept sky seemed to meet each end of the plain. Then out of the town, through the lantern scrub, till we came to the dry river bed, where we walked among rocks and boulders, sitting down occasionally, while great horny lizards washed us from between the stones. Across the riverbed, fields of maize stretched away for a few miles until there came a dry region, where thorns and a few bent trees grew, the earth splitting up in jagged cracks like a jigsaw puzzle, and where water had been, the skin was peeling off the great earth in great flat pancakes. Dotting the landscape were old abandoned brick kilns, and it was said that thieves met there at night in the trenches around the kilns, but we never saw any. When it rained heavily, the hollows filled up with water. Suraj and I came to one of these places to bathe and swim. There was an island in the middle of one of the hollows, and on this small mound stood the ruins of a hut, where a night watchman once lived and looked after the bricks at night. We swam out to the island, which was only a few yards away. There was a grassy patch in front of the hut, and here we lay and sunned ourselves in the early morning until it became too hot. We would oil and massage each other's bodies and wrestle on the grass. Though I was heavier than Suraj, and my chest was as sound as a new drum, he had a lot of power in his long arms and legs and often pinioned me about the waist with his bony knees or fastened me with his strong fingers. Once while we wrestled on the new monsoon grass, I felt his body go tense as I strained to press him back to the ground. He stiffened, his thigh jerked against me, and his legs began to twitch. I knew that he had a fit coming on, but I was unable to extricate myself from his arms which gripped me more tightly as the fit took possession of him. Instead of struggling, I lay still and tried desperately to absorb some of his anguish by embracing him. 
I felt my own body might draw some of the agitation to itself. It was only a strange fancy, but I felt that it made a difference. That by consciously sharing his unconscious condition, I was alleviating it. All other times, at other times, I have known the same feeling. When Kamla was burning with fever, I had thought that by taking her in my arms, I could draw the fever from her, absorb the heat of her body, transfer to hers the coolness of my own. Now I pressed against Suraj and whispered soothingly and lovingly into his ear. though i knew he had no idea what i could be saying and then when i noticed his mouth working i thrust my hand inside ways to prevent him from biting his tongue but so violent was the convulsion that his teeth bit into the flesh of my palms and ground against my knuckles i gasped with pain and jerked to and tried to jerk my hand away but it was impossible to loosen the grip of his teeth so i closed my eyes and counted 1,2,3,4,5,6,7 until I felt his body relax again and his jaws give way slowly. My hand had blood on it and was trembling. I bound it in a handkerchief before Suraj came to himself. We walked back to the town without talking much. He looked depressed and hopeless. though i knew he would be buoyant again before long i kept my hand concealed beneath my singlet and he was too dejected to notice this it was only at night when he returned from his classes that he noticed it was bandaged and then i told him i had slipped on the road cutting my hand on some broken glass